Hey, it's Lucas Walker. You might know me from some of my podcasts, but I'm also the founder and CEO of the Rolled Up Podcast Network. So this is the next show that we're launching. It's called Bricks and Clicks. And as the name implies, it's still about CPG. It's still a ton of relevant information for e-commerce brands, but we're really starting to branch into the brick and mortar and traditional retail spaces. So in this inaugural episode, I'm in the conversation chair as well as producing with your hosts, Johnny and Colin, two of the three partners at Omnium CPG. Something else that we've never done before is get musical licensing. So that music that you're hearing queue up right now is the Dirty Nail from Dundas, Ontario, and they are going to take us into this first episode of Bricks and Clicks. Hey, thanks, Lucas. Really great to be here. So yeah, myself, Johnny, and our third partner, Adam, we're the founders at Omnium. And we put it very shortly, we help CPG companies make better decisions, specifically around their trade spending and trade investments. But we cast a pretty wide net. Awesome, Colin. Thank you. And Johnny, do you have, what do you want to add to that with what Omnium CPG does? Before we get into episode one, what is trade marketing? Sure. Hello, everyone. My name is Johnny Valeriot. As Colin mentioned, I'm one of the co-founders of Omnium uh, with Colin and Adam. And yeah, at Omnium, at Omnium, we work around trade marketing. That's our big focus when we're engaging with CPG brands. And I think one wrinkle that we bring to the table is we're all trained mathematicians. We have degrees in mathematics, applied mathematics, pure mathematics, statistics. And we take those learnings and the modeling skills that we've we're trained in and apply them to the real world, the real CPG world. I think that that opens up a great topic because I'm, I'm not a mathematician. I think the last thing I might have done is a quadratic equation. And before that, Y equals MX plus B. So how does that fit in for maybe a marketer who's run Facebook ad budgets and is familiar with some of the metrics and they aren't really doing it themselves. How does that gap get bridged between what direct consumer marketers are used to, maybe even traditional retail marketers who are now going online, how does that layer of, and I'll just call it uh, advanced statistics to, to use a baseball term, how does that really impact what you do and tie into trade spending and trade marketing? Yeah, so I'm glad you used the baseball term there. We like to use the analogy of what we do with Moneyball, that movie, the baseball movie with Brad Pitt and Jonah Hill. So if you remember, Jonah Hill comes in and he has all these advanced analytics that helps the Brad Pitt character make better decisions instead of just looking at a player's swing and trying to gauge how good they are. There's that scene where they're all in the room and they're throwing out ideas on players. And it was all the old school scouts saying, oh, this guy looks like a ball player. Exactly. Like, what does that even mean? Exactly. I think that we see it, oh, that looks like D to C packaging mm -hmm. or that'll really pop. Yeah. So we try and lean more towards the Jonah Hill side. We study what we call the purchase environment. So the point at which people are making decisions and actually buying product. At the end of the day, if you are a manufacturing company, you need consumers to buy your product. We're really focusing on how do these different marketing activities and trade activities affect the purchase environment itself so that when we're modeling events and deciding, hey, do we want to spend this money or not, 
Roy's tying it back to, is this going to actually drive the sales at the point we need it to drive sales? And so to get back to your question, I'd say there's not a big difference between D2C marketing and traditional brick and mortar. The analysis is the same. It's just trying to take a lens to how is this actually going to increase sales? We're a lot better at that at brick and mortar. And uh, I think the industry is getting a lot better at it on digital as well. And I think to add to that, Colin, the one thing we provide for, say, marketers or salespeople that we're working with is they have to make a decision. Colin alluded to this earlier. We help companies make better decisions. At the end of the day, they have to make a decision. Should I recommend a 10 for 10 or a 4 for 5? And we provide the analytics to give them and show them what the world will look like if you do a 10 for 10 or you do a 4 for 5. And now they're informed when they make that decision. And that's kind of the money ball thing, right? They're going to make a decision. They think this player is going to have an on-base percentage of 300 or 350 if we sign that person versus just sort of just trusting your gut and saying, well, you know what? 10 for 10 sounds like an awesome price point. I'm going to do that. And not really knowing what the consequences are going to be towards the business. So what is a, a 10 for 10 or a four for five? That sounds very, very much on the traditional retail side of, uh, of promotions. Yeah. So a, a 10 for 10, and that's really where Omnium's focus is on the traditional side of uh, retail marketing or trade marketing in store. So a 10 for 10 would be uh, a promotion in store. So you go to your local grocery store and you want to buy a, a cliff bar. Well, it might be on sale for 10 for 10 and big, a big tag. And what that means, you buy 10 of them, you're going to get for $10. So the net price is $1 per bar. And typically, if you went in on a week where there was not a promotion, it might be priced at $129. And there might not be this big tag and this big advertising saying, hey, 10 for 10, it's just $129. And so the idea is, is Cliff Bar, the manufacturer in this case, is going to try and buy that. They're buying that 10 for 10 ad with the hope that it will drive a lot more sales in store, which will result in more sales for them from the grocery store. And you mentioned that they buy a 10 for 10 ad. What does that entail? Is that buying the promo space with the grocery store or the, the retailer? Is that just buying the, the discount? So knowing that they'll make less money per unit going from 129 per bar down to a dollar. What does that entail when buying a promotion? There's a couple of different parts that can go into it. There's just buying the price point itself. So like you said, Lucas, you spend some money with the retailer so that they will put the price at a lower number, say a dollar. And presumably you're hoping at this point that you're going to sell a lot more units. So there's the actual variable cost per unit you invest, but then there's a lot of other activities that you can put over top of that. So actually buying an ad, so getting printed in their flyer often comes with a fixed fee. If you want your product to be on display, so one of those nice end caps to get extra inventory in place, retailers are also going to expect you to pay for that extra signage in store that all costs money as, as an average consumer walking the grocery store. And before I got into this industry, I had no idea why things were on sale. I thought it's cause they had extra inventory that was going to go bad or they're just like, you know what, this is a good week to put this on sale. I'm no doubt that was the case at some point in the past, but retailers got pretty wise, pretty fast that they have something valuable. They actually have these marketing vehicles. And so retailers are selling product to consumers, but they're also selling these marketing vehicles to their vendors, the manufacturers they buy from. So it's kind of an interesting dynamic there being a retailer. You're selling product, but you're also selling marketing. Yeah, this, this blew my mind when I first started working in the industry that, for example, Cliff Bar sells Cliff Bars to Safeway, but then Safeway will sell them events. So they're selling events to their customers. It's just this weird uh, back and forth. 
uh, where money is going both ways. I think it's something a lot of e-commerce first businesses are surprised to find out is that you don't just sell to the retailer. You might have to pay $100,000 just to sell into them before you've sold it a unit in their stores. Yeah, because the cost to entry is so low on, on direct-to-consumer, right? A lot of times, you don't even have to ever take delivery of your own product if you're drop shipping. Yeah, or not even drop shipping, but just sending it to a 3PL company or a logistics company. You do some QA checks, you, you place some test orders, but you're not bringing it into your facility, packaging it, and then sending it to the retailers or direct-to-consumer you're going right from your manufacturers to your warehouses that you're you're just renting and leasing the space, and you're really only paying a little bit if customers buy. I see the, the idea of buying that space is how we like to phrase it, where you're paying dollars just to get on shelf in a traditional retail store, grocery store, is yeah, it's a very expensive thing, but it can be very um, lucrative if you can buy that space and get that space on shelf. That's because you're ensuring you're getting distribution, you're getting your top items into all these stores. And that can have a really high payout, but it can be very scary that first time when you're getting those bills, like, yeah, I got to pay a quarter million dollars or give how much free product, free fills. That's a lot. And it, uh, it can certainly be scary. But if you have the numbers, and this is where we help with companies is give them the idea of, hey, if you get that item into these stores, you could sell a million dollars and you're going to make $200,000 in profit for that first year. So you could spend up to $200,000 to get into all those stores and you're going to break even on the first year when you've got a million dollars in sales. So it can be a really powerful tool, but very, very scary. It absolutely is. It's very scary. Like if I have a, a machine and if I know that I put $900,000 into this machine, it'll spit out $1 million. I'm doing this all day long, but the moment where the machine has eaten my $900,000, I'm sweating bullets and I'm terrified before it comes out. Even if I've done it day in and day out, there's always that moment of hesitation once the budgets and campaigns start to get bigger and bigger. For a lot of our clients, there are a lot of moments when we seem like magicians or soothsayers or something, because we can say with a high degree of confidence, if you take this action, like let's say if you change your price from price A to price B, you will sell X percent more. It's a pretty strong statement. And if you don't have the analytical background and the mathematical training, it does seem like magic. Like, how could you know that? And then it happens as planned and it seems like magic. So to a lot of our clients, we're magicians, but it's really just that mathematical training that we've all had and the, the years of experience in the industry that allow us to make these solid recommendations and provide that peace of mind that if you do this, you're going to get the thing you thought you were going to get. And just one more piece of that is the data that's available in the grocery industry, the CPG industry is massive. It's so robust that you can make these very strong predictions and build these very strong models because there's so much data. I mean, we're talking about, we look at data as our typical clients, you can imagine over 104 weeks for 70 grocery stores for 30 SKUs. Uh, that's a lot of data and a lot of different prices you can look at to make these predictions. So that's a, that's a big benefit too that we get to take advantage of. So I think that looking at data is a great cliffhanger to give a little shout out to Cliff Barr for the next episode and just talking about some of those data sources, both proprietary and otherwise. But 
I'd love to just share with the audience who you typically work with. You mentioned Cliff Bar, which is a pretty big company. I think I heard they own a third of the the health bar market, which is remarkable when you think about how big it is. It has its own section on Seven Eleven, Uber Eats, so you you know how far it's uh, it's spread. But who is the typical client that you would work with that will see the benefit to doing some of this mathematical magicry? When you're basically any company in the grocery store, if you're walking the aisles and you see something on your shelf at your local grocery store, they will certainly benefit from putting some more rigor around the analysis and how they leverage their data. Now, the only caveat would be you need the right amount of scale to really be able to buy this data. It does cost money. And you also need a history to be able to say, hey, we did this stuff. How did it work? So there's a little bit of scale involved, but once you're in, say, 5 to 10% of grocery stores in the United States, you've got a, a good amount of history that you're ready to start really making some moves and up your data analysis game. So I think that's a great point to leave it. It's a pretty heavy analytical chat. So as much as I would love to think that people are going to listen to us talk for, for three hours about it, maybe maybe wrapping up around 15 minutes is uh, the good gateway sale. I don't want to sell the 10 for 10 right away if I've learned anything. Start with the individual units. Maybe get an end cap. Buy one, get one free. So we're going to be back with another episode sometime later this week. And we're going to be talking about some of those data sources, distribution and how your products get on shelves and going over some of the marketing myths, including, and we might, we might get some negative reviews on this one, packaging changes. So make sure you're subscribed wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you're following Omnium CPG, uh, wherever you, you like your content. And we will see you back here very shortly. Thanks, Lucas. Thanks, Lucas. Well, I hope you enjoyed this first episode of Bricks and Clicks. We're publishing a few just to get a feel for things. So if you have any feedback, please hit me up. Please get in touch with Johnny Collin. And of course, if you are interested in Omnium CPG's offerings, I'm sure they'd love to get in touch as well. Make sure you're subscribed. And if you enjoyed this, the fastest way for us to grow is if you leave a five-star review on Apple, it would help us out tremendously if you like it. If you don't, that's cool too. Would love to hear your feedback so we can get that five-star review and keep giving you the type of podcasts that you love. Whoa.